0: Welcome to Great Move North. If you're just looking, just wondering, or even just about to do it, then this just might be the place to start. We meet the people who've taken a leap of faith and jumped. As they land, there's challenges, sometimes despair, often followed by smiles and silent amazement at the sights that now surround them. There's hundreds of thousands of cyclists in London. Some of them want to help the planet, some of them want to keep fit. Lizzie Kay's reason was different. She couldn't afford the tube. Lizzie was set for promotion, a stellar career in publishing. Then she realized she was done with London. I asked her, "What happened?" So tell me about the publishing industry in the Loon Valley, Lizzie.
1: Oh gosh, I think it's just me. Actually, it might not be there. I think there are a few others. Um, but it's quiet, it's lovely. It allows a lot of focus, a lot of time for thinking, I mean, getting out and walking, where you can actually walk through a problem and figure out what you're going to do without any outside pressure.
0: Is the problem solved when you get back?
1: Most of the time, yes, actually. I think there's something about the act of walking, which I used to do a lot in cities as well and in London as well. I think the act of walking just lets you work through a problem and just the repetitive action takes you to places where either the problem has been solved because you've realised it's no longer actually a problem and you're overthinking it and you've just been far too in your head about it or actually there is a solution and it's just you do this or you try x or you have a look at y and so maybe this it's not solved exactly as in you can come back and immediately action something but it's solved in the case of you've worked through the problem
0: and are you reprioritising the issues as you're walking
1: Sometimes I mean more what happens is that having gone out stomping around on one problem I realize actually there's a much bigger problem that you should be thinking about.
0: <laughs> it's interesting because your world is all about deadlines and yeah. when we agreed to meet you said you couldn't possibly do it because you had an upcoming deadline. Yes. We're not on one today. How do you deal with that deadline management?
1: I mean that's what I've I've always done it. So I've only ever worked in publishing. I've never worked in any other industry and it's, all, it's been all kinds of publishing, so business publishing, magazines, and then book publishing, and then comics publishing. And they all have different deadlines and all have different ways of managing deadlines. So for me, it's very much built into how I go through, go through my life and go through the days, is that there are certain points in the month and the year where these things have to happen. And having said to you, oh, I'm on a deadline, I actually now have another one. <laughs> so they're they're constant they're just constant rolling deadlines it's it's like a wave that comes constantly so yeah you just get used to it
0: what were the most difficult egos to deal with in the different types of publishing worlds that you talked about the authors the talent or others
1: Uh, others always others authors and talent yes sometimes you're dealing with egos But you have to have quite an ego on you to want to produce content and produce art like that. You have to really believe in what you're saying and you have to be quite stubborn about it because otherwise you just wouldn't do it. I mean, that whole thing of everyone's got a book in them. Yeah, but how many people actually sit down and write it? You have to have a huge amount of self-belief to do that. And that self-belief comes with an ego. So I excuse any ego that I come across in authors and artists and writers because you wouldn't be doing it if you didn't have it ego can be a problem in dealing with other colleagues it can be a problem in dealing with employers but again like you have to have a lot of self belief to do things that are hard so sometimes it's the ego that makes it possible to do them you know difficult ego doesn't necessarily mean difficult person
0: tell me about the self belief that brought you to the loon valley <laughs> and how you got here
1: gosh it's such a roundabout route so I moved to London the week after I graduated from university and I walked, I was really lucky I graduated in 2007 so I walked straight into a job. It wasn't a particularly shiny job but it was a good job in business publishing. And my first boss was wonderful and he gave me a lot of opportunities to learn which let me hop over to a different area which is comics and graphic novel publishing. Um, And I was there in London doing that, and I'd moved through a couple of companies. And I was working for a company that was great, and it was really interesting work, but publishing is not a well-paid industry, not at the level I was doing it. I was an editor. It's not a well-paid industry. I was working incredibly long hours and incredibly stressful, because at that time, going back to the deadlines, I was on a number of titles that had essentially, weekly deadlines for big print orders. And I remember just sort of looking up one day, just going, well, I can see everyone else in this room. We're a big company, and I I was like, well, I can see everyone else in this room, and if I sit this out, in five years, I might be in his seat. In 10 years, I might be in her seat. Does their life look any more appealing (laughs) than mine is right now? And the honest answer for me was no. You know, I don't want to be him and I don't want to be her. So if I stay here, that's what is going to happen. That's the most likely outcome, is that I will just still be stressed, still be not particularly well off, still be working all hours. What's the point? There's no point in that. So I decided to quit. And I told my boss, I was like, right, um, I'm going to (laughs) go. Did you tell him why? Yeah. Yeah. I said, I'm done, I don't want to be, I don't want to do this, I don't want to, I don't want the life that this is leading to. And my, that, my boss at the time was really, really, he was a difficult man, but he was good. He was a good man and he was really hard to work for. Um, but I really respected him and I think he respected me and he said, you're good at this, why are you going? In five years you'll be in that seat, in, maybe sooner. I was like, well, not soon enough.
0: And that's why I'm going because I don't want to be. in yeah. that
1: seat. <laughs> Exactly, that's why I'm going. First of all, not soon enough. I'm ambitious, and five years is a long time. And even when I get to that seat, well, how does my life get better for being in that seat? It doesn't. Like this isn't a life. This is just. This is just work. You know, I was living in a part of London I didn't particularly like. I was commuting by bike, which I actually did enjoy. You know, cycling in London is quite dangerous, but. I did actually enjoy that bit. But I was doing it because I couldn't afford tube fare, because my finances were so straitened, because the job wasn't paying well enough. So then if you're looking at it from that perspective, you're not enjoying, you're not enjoying being in London. There's no point in being in London if you're not gonna be able to enjoy everything it has to offer. So I just said to him, I'm going, I'm, I'm done, I'm done. And he said, right, well, can you not just take it all with you freelance? And I was like, well, uh, sure. Sure. If you're going to let me do that, I will go freelance and I will take my work with me. Um, So I owe him a lot for that, actually, because it was him and my senior editor at the time. I owe them a lot because they made that possible, which meant that I could just pack up and drive north, basically. And that's how I ended up here, because my, my family are based in the Lake District. And they had said to me when I... Called them saying, "I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm I'm leaving. I've been here ten years, almost ten years. I'm done." Um, they said, "Well, all right. Come and come and sleep in the spare room for a few months and uh, figure out what you're going to do." Um, so that's what I did, and very grateful to them for that. It's obviously that whole thing of back with your parents? And I hadn't lived with them since I was 18. So <laughs> it was quite a shock for everyone.
0: So the boomerang kid. The boomerang
1: about. kid, which I don't think they thought they were going to get one. Um, but I ended up staying with them for nine months because actually it was it was really nice to spend some time with them as, a, as an adult. Um, it was nice to have their support. It was nice to see what their life was like. And in the process of doing that, I fell in love with the Lake District and the north of england in this this particular area um, which i'd never really explored because i'd lived in london for 10 years and i didn't have any money so i didn't really go on holiday or do anything
0: so let's just ask about that you mm. you fell in love with the area that the parents were from mm. so you're familiar with it but you'd never actually seen it until you'd left it
1: well they they only moved here they retired here so my dad my dad is actually from preston but again he went down south When he was 18, and he never came back until he retired. So they had, I hadn't grown up here. Mm. So I've got no kind of deep rooted connection. Or I didn't think, now I feel differently, but I didn't have any deep rooted connection to this area. And I didn't grow up in this country. So we never did.
0: Where did you grow up?
1: Hong Kong. Right. Yeah. So we never did, um, you know, family holidays to the Lake District or even family holidays to Cornwall or anything because we were the other side of the world so I literally didn't know anything about the UK
0: um, okay so you're you're, ba- you're back or you're here for the yeah. first time and you're you know working walking through mm. Wordsworth's host of Golden Daffodils yes. or whatever and seeing it for the first time mm. what was that like
1: it was eye-opening I mean I I moved at the end of the summer so I had the end of the holiday season which is when this area really comes into its own because it's still beautiful but all the crowds are gone <laughs> which is nice so you can properly explore and classic you know millennial woman i started wild swimming and i met some wonderful friends doing that and started you know exploring the area and exploring the lake district and and yeah it was completely eye-opening so So
0: western western (laughs) lakes Hop, um you sort of leapfrog Scarfell yeah. and end up in Loon Valley.
1: Yeah, well, eventually we, um, we had to go down south to Oxford for a year. And then when the lockdowns started in March, we sort of went, oh, God, this could be going on for quite a while. We need to get back up north because that's where our families are. If something happens, we are we are just too far away in Oxford. And we don't need to be here anymore. We can work from wherever. Um, is Oxford London? No, no, it, it is very different. It is very, very different. Um,
0: That's a stupid question. But is <laughs> Oxford, what does it feel like? What is it, where it's very different to London or very different to the north or both?
1: I think it feels very, I think it feels very different to London. Weirdly, I think it feels more like the north. Right. Um, because it's an it's a university town. So if you think about some of the other university towns up north or cities up north. So, you know, we're really close to Lancaster. And the reason um, for the
0: questions is, in the nicest possible way, why didn't you stay there? Younger people, more welcoming, same accent. It's
1: really expensive. Right. That was it.
0: <laughs> so the reason for the move north is money and Money and mountains. proximity,
1: proximity to family, sort of being within striking distance, which we weren't. But money was a huge part of it, and... It is very expensive down south, and I'd forgotten, having left it, I'd sort of forgotten how expensive it was. And having lived in a place where it is more beautiful and cheaper and your quality of life is just higher, it, it jarred being in the south, in the southeast, where you could, you could feel a tension in the air. There was, there, was, there was just a tension down there that I don't think you have up here it's um it's a sort of it was it reminded me of london in the sort of background hum of just breathing just existing is so hard <laughs> so expensive is,
0: is that about the pace or the drivers the inner drivers in people
1: i think it's more about the insecurity actually the the it is expensive to be there so you just have an ambient insecurity with what happens if i lose my job what happens if my car breaks down can i even afford a car can i even you know even going to the supermarket is more expensive. And all of these things just I think money does cause a huge amount of fear and you get used to it when you've lived with it for a long time. You know, in somewhere like London or yeah, southern cities. But when you haven't experienced it for a while and then you experience it again, you can feel it. And it's it's unpleasant, and it's hard to be around.
0: So COVID arrives. Mm. Fear, free. Freelance. Yeah. And here.
1: Yeah we were trying to figure out where to go. And we didn't want to go back to the Western Lakes because as beautiful as it was, we were too close to family (laughs) in the Western Lakes. We were smack down between both sets. So we were like, it's a bit close. Um, And, you know, looking to the future, one of the reasons the Western Lakes had been hard was because of the lack of infrastructure, like trying to get to London, um, which you do have to do, or even Leeds or Manchester, you know, I work in publishing, I I have to be able to go meet people, I have to be able to go to events and talk to people, and and it has to be possible, if not easy, possible. And unfortunately, the lack of infrastructure for the Western Lakes made it a bit too hard. It was doable, but it was expensive and it was tiring, and I couldn't do it as much as I would want to.
0: And you've got proximity here to the West Coast mainline. Exactly. You can do London in three hours or whatever.
1: Exactly, which is blissful. I mean, even when I was in with my parents. Um, we were that bit closer, but it was still, you know, getting up at five in the morning mm. and I wouldn't hit the I wouldn't be in the office till eleven. Okay. You know, so it was it was it was absolutely doable. It was just hard.
0: Is there an <laughs> assumption when you pitch up in the office there that people just take for granted that instead of living in Docklands, you're living in Northland, you're living in Hendon, mm. you're living in Ealing. They've no comprehension of where you actually live.
1: No, so It was quite interesting because I was taken on by the the last company I worked for as a remote worker. So they were really ahead of the curve in that, in that I was never expected to be in the office more than once once a month until the end when I needed to go in more regularly, which is why we moved to Oxford. But they were fully accepting that, no, you live in the Lake District. And they, people knew that. They knew I wouldn't be coming in the office every I would still log on to video meetings, I would still be part of the office life, but I was remote. And it had its benefits and it had its difficulties. But they were, you know, I mean when I sort of parted ways with them, it was you know, I said, thank you, you've made it you've made it possible for me to live in a beautiful place and do a job that I love. So thanks. That's amazing. <laughs> so when COVID hit um just before actually that company decided to go or had to go through a round of redundancies and unfortunately I was one of them. Um, but like I said it we'd already been sort of talking about how can we how can we part ways in a in an amicable way. The difficulty being that what I was doing for that particular company is very, very specialist. So I work in publishing, um I specialise in graphic novels which are comic books And it was a very, it's a very specialised area. So me leaving the company meant that there would be these books that were sort of orphaned, essentially, in the company. So we'd already been sort of going through the process of trying to figure out, is there a way of you still working for us in some capacity or the books going with you? And ultimately, we found a solution where the books came with me. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them came with me because I had decided and had been thinking for about 18 months, two years prior to that, okay, well, when I do this myself, I'm gonna do it this way. <laughs> or when when I have the freedom to make the decisions, I'll make a different decision. So it had already been in my mind that at some point you're going to set up your own publishing company. And it's not necessarily, I don't think COVID accelerated that. It just so happened that the two coincided um, in that I was, Made redundant, given the opportunity to continue with the books that I'd already commissioned under a different guise, but also essentially had been kind of set free from expectation because of COVID.
0: COVID hit. Company formed.
1: And off we go. Wow. That was it. It was sort of okay. Well, no one's going to no one's going to have huge expectations of you now. You've just been made redundant. There's a global pandemic. I just thought, okay, good, so no one can... If it doesn't work, and touch wood, you know, we're only a year in, but it seems to be working right now. So it meant when it came to sort of deciding where we're going to go, my priorities completely shifted because it was a case of, right, we're not going to be doing all of the traditional publishing things. was going to be no London Book Fair, there's going to be no events because that was a huge problem coming up to the north at the time where we were. I could only stay, the the last train was 7 o'clock in the evening if I wanted to get home. That was a problem, you know. I needed the last train to be 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock. So I was like, right, I don't have to think about all of that for at least a year, which means we don't need to be in the South. We need to be somewhere cheap and quiet with good internet. (laughs) That's all I need and some space. We need space because we'd been living in a house which was gorgeous, but we were, my partner and I were sharing an office, which... Didn't, did not work for us.
0: <laughs> you, you touched on the internet. It's the critical utility, it isn't is. it? It its yeah. That makes a lot of that, difference.
1: All the difference to the extent that when we were deciding where to go, having decided we were going, we said, okay, well, we don't want to be in the Western Lakes, but we want to be in the north. We want to be within striking distance. What city do we like? We both quite like Lancaster. Mm. We don't want to be in Lancaster because we like living in the countryside. That's what we do. Draw a circle around Lancaster And this particular house in this particular village was the only thing available for rent. Mm. And it was the right price. It was the right number of rooms.
0: First question to the agent, tell me about speeds. Well,
1: this is the thing. (laughs) It wasn't my first question because I was so blown away by how perfect everything else was that I was like, no, 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 it's fine. We'll take it. It's perfect. Um, Then my partner was like, did you check the internet speed? Because we can't go there <laughs> if if you're on you know standard broadband Line we can't up, go
0: clockwork, and
1: I was work. like well we are absolutely going so <laughs> we'll have to find a solution and um and that's when I I was so determined that we were coming here into this house and to this place that I was like it cannot be that you can only get normal internet and that it, cannot it, be the answer
0: it didn't become a showstopper because I'm I think I'm right in saying this village and other communities have actually solved the problem by oh, yeah. digging it themselves. Yes. Which is what you've done. Yeah. So we've got now Cast Iron Books. Yeah. Tell me about it.
1: Well, Cast Iron Books, so that's the company that I was always going to set up. Having Having worked in publishing for a long time and seen all the various different aspects of it and all the various different sides of it um, and the ways that the particular area I work in operates, which is comics and graphic novels. I've worked across the whole gamut of experience that you could have there and there are some problems that we need to address and we're not able to address them easily unless you start from scratch, so that's what I did. So Castan Books operates on a crowdfunding model. We do a very limited number of titles a year, so four or five titles a year maximum. There's a couple of reasons for that. Firstly, I'm a one-man band, and books are hard to make and do. Secondly, the graphic novel and comics market, especially in the UK, and the anglophone market in general, is in a state of flux, and it's also not particularly strong at the moment. You know, I'm I'm assuming you are a reader. I'm also assuming you probably don't read graphic novels. Because why would you? There's so many books being published. So we are a niche aspect of the industry. So the market can only sustain so many titles a year. So we only do a very few titles. It's boutique and all of them are crowdfunded, which means that the book is produced and published when it has hit its production and distribution target. It's a different model. It operates outside the existing traditional publishing model. Almost completely. It has more in common with self-publishing. The difference being that I am actually a professional. I am a an editor. <laughs> I have always worked as an editor.
0: And it's, it's premium niche in yeah. the sense that there's that quality control. This isn't, back to ego, this isn't people just getting off on. No, something. this is
1: a highly curated list because I only do four titles. And because that means that I have a very close working relationship with the authors and the artists, you know, for years we are working really closely together on these books. I have to like the person. I have to get on with the person. I have to believe in the project. Um, Projects that don't come into, don't, you know, hit those marks, as it were, will still potentially do very well in self-publishing. But I have something to offer them, which a lot of people do want.
0: But is it going well?
1: Yes, it is. It is going well. It's going well to the extent that I had sort of planned to myself that for the very first year, maybe the first 18 months, do everything yourself. Do absolutely everything yourself because the only way you will ever understand how how your particular business is going to work is if you know exactly where the problems are and you know exactly what needs to be solved. I and mean, The only way you're going to find that is if you do it yourself and you find the, find the problems yourself. The reality is, is that it's growing at a speed and sort of taking on a life of its own that means that I'm probably gonna move into stage two of the plan a little bit faster than I thought but that's a good thing that's a great problem to have so (laughs) so quite happy about it really
0: so tell me about the typical working day because obviously you're talking to people across the pond in the states
1: yeah so this is the beauty of working remotely and working from home for me at least is that I'm not i I'm not a morning person. I do not like getting up early, um, so my working day sort of starts slowly and leisurely. I check my emails, make a coffee, maybe do a bit of gardening. Um,
0: this isn't London. This isn't
1: London, and this is you know setting your own schedule and setting your own agenda for a day. Um, uh, a couple of my authors are based in the States and a lot of conversations I have with them sort of take place early evening or even late evening now sometimes. So my day is sort of shifted. But the reason I like working in this way is because I am quite driven. I am quite ambitious. I'm quite motivated. But I really don't like being told what to do. <laughs> mm. So to have the freedom to just be like, actually, you know what, I'm going to go and sit in the garden for an hour and read or do some weeding or go for a walk and think about this problem rather than having to be at my desk. I have a real problem with presenteeism. I don't really like it, which is why working from home has always worked for me so well and working remotely.
0: How sceptical are the authors then from um, when they see this lifestyle, when they realise you're not in London and you're living in the way you've just described?
1: Quite a few of my authors also don't live in London and there's actually been a move Quite a few of them in the last year have left London or are planning to leave London um, or planning to leave, you know, major cities and go to rural locations and more country locations. I think they like it. I think they like seeing that I've gone for a swim in the morning or, you know, I'm posting a view in the afternoon on Instagram because I've gone for a walk or something. None of them so far have ever raised any question about it
0: (laughs) and that applies to the stateside authors as well
1: applies to the stateside ones too are they
0: loyal are they sticking with you
1: yeah i mean they've stuck with me so far they've followed me so far so and we have plans to continue to work together after their first books so yes they are i think this generation of people are much more interested in in a work-life balance that allows you to do that they not so much that they want to see your life outside of work but they like to know that you have one. At least my authors do, I think. Um, And they don't begrudge that, they don't begrudge me that. Of course, the other side of it is, is that, you know, hopefully they also see that I am performing and that the company is performing in the way that it's meant to. So who loses in that situation?
0: (laughs) So we're in an idyllic setting, a gorgeous cottage surrounded by books. What's missing? Is it just more people like you? (laughs) younger people
1: yes 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 i would say that that is a problem is that there's three yeses (laughs) it's hard to find a mix of people in areas like this there are all of my neighbors here are wonderful they're lovely and they're incredibly welcoming considering we are younger than them um we're not the youngest in the village there's a couple of other young couples but it's a majority it's an older demographic here and then in the lakes, when we were there, there were much more, there were much more young people. Um, but perhaps their interests weren't necessarily the same. So it's a very outdoorsy community. I like being outdoors, but I also like being indoors. <laughs> and but we're more of a
0: stone's throw from a world-class university with all the dynamic community that brings.
1: Yeah, but it's been lockdown. So I've been to Lancaster, I think, twice in the last year.
0: Does unlocking unlock more in your life as it comes possibly, to fruition? Possibly,
1: possibly. Um, but then having said that, I, I like, I'm a very solitary person. I like being by myself. I like being on my own. I'm going to an event tonight, but it's a Zoom event. And personally, I'm still more comfortable with that. I'm not at a point where I want to necessarily be around crowds of people. But yes, potentially... Potentially. I think that's something is people worry about, oh, it's, it's going to be really lonely, there's nothing to do in the countryside. And that's firstly not true. There's loads to do in the countryside, absolutely loads, as long as you've got good waterproofs and nice walking boots or wellies. Um, but the other thing is, is that if you like your own company, it's the perfect place to be.
0: So London Book Fair, Piccadilly Line, presenteeism or walks... Zoom, and your own company.
1: And also better internet than I had (laughs) in anywhere else. Really? So, well, the files I deal with are enormous because I love my artists and my writers, but they are, they do not listen when you say. Small file sizes, please. Um, They're huge. They're absolutely huge. And it was a huge, huge, huge problem, even in London, um, especially in London in some cases. So when we did actually move here... I found that actually we can have fiber broadband to the property, and we have to go because there is nowhere else I can think of that I would be able to get it. Get that, which it makes my life so much easier. It makes it makes it possible, like seconds, seconds to do an upload that might take hours.
0: So we are in Gigadale.
1: It's amazing. It's ma It really is amazing. It's a huge, huge, huge difference.
0: That's the next TV series, isn't it? Forget Emma Yeah, It's exactly.
1: But I'm interested to see who else, is, who else is going to be doing these moves because it's, it changes your life completely. So it's a good I'm
0: thing. I'm sure you're a pace setter. <laughs> Lizzie Kay, thank you very much.
1: Thank you.